morning, happy Sunday everyone. This is Amy and welcome back to the LBC podcast. This is our penultimate episode in the Pursuit of Purpose series. That's really hard to say. Last week we started thinking about ministry and the different ways that we are called and equipped and gifted and the different roles that we have. This week we're looking at what ministry actually is. What has God uniquely called the church to do in the work of creation? Under God's authority, we are to use the creative capacities that we've been given in God's likeness to do the work of creation and the work of the kingdom. The work of creation and the work of the kingdom are two sides of the same coin. Remember, God's kingdom is his dynamic rule and reign throughout the earth, and we are his royal priesthood sent to operate and represent this rule on his behalf. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus has just returned from 40 days in the wilderness, being tempted by Satan. This story mirrors the events of Genesis 3, where Satan tempts Adam and Eve at the beginning of creation. But this time, Jesus, the perfect human, resists all temptation and starts this new creation story the right way, free from the curse of sin. Upon his return, he announces that the work of the kingdom has begun. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 4. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Then he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This scroll that Jesus reads comes from Isaiah 61. The book of Isaiah carries prophetic themes about judgment and hope for Israel, laying the groundwork for what God's kingdom will look like when their Messiah finally arrives. There will be a new covenant between God and his people and a work of renewed creation. In Isaiah 61, the prophet is pointing to what will be the evidence of this arrival. He gives this beautiful picture of the hope, the favour, the abundance and the restoration that will be available not only for Israel, but for all people who choose to be part of God's kingdom. Here's what it says in Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, 
and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work in your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. God's people will be appointed ministers. I was trying to think of a good way to sum up all this work, and I loved the words that I found in my ESV commentary under this passage. It says the poor become creative restorers of the sad situations that man has had to live with for so long. Every human ideal falls into ruin in this world of death, but the new culture of life in the city of God will thrive forever. God's people will become creative restorers. Isn't that the best job title? And it is spot on. Look at the work that Jesus says he's come to do in Luke 4 and the work that he then commissions his disciples to do in Matthew 10. He says to them, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. It's the same kind of work, restoring what has been broken by sin and fallen to ruin in the hands of humanity. Israel has known in painful detail a life of poverty, slavery, oppression, and destruction. But what we see in Isaiah 61 is a work of bringing about the very opposite of these things bringing God's creative order back into play. Remember from Genesis, our creative work is to bring order, structure, beauty, and meaning to the world. Ministry, the work of believers, is the creative restoration of a fallen world. It is the work of hope, healing, liberation, and deliverance. The creative capacities that we possess in God's likeness, when empowered by the Holy Spirit as believers, are put to work in these four areas of ministry. Hope, bringing good news to the poor. Hope, it seems, has been in short supply this year. Research carried out around mental health and community resilience during the pandemic has shown that many people are feeling hopeless. The good news is that may have changed with recent announcements and the tentative hope that a return to normal life is within reach. But for many people, the aftermath of all that the pandemic has taken from them financially, emotionally, relationally, and through the loss of loved ones means that many people may be struggling to see hope on the other side of this experience. What then is the good news that we can offer? What hope does the church carry that makes our ministry worthwhile? The theme of our Easter weekend this year is living hope. And so that's a question that I may be able to answer in a couple of weeks. Healing. Bind up the brokenhearted. 
give sight to the blind. Psalm 147 tells us that the Lord heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. There are numerous stories in the Gospels of Jesus healing people from all kinds of sickness and infirmities. Everything from leprosy, bleeding or blindness, to paralysis and even death. Wherever Jesus goes, he does a work of healing. And it's not just the physical healing. Binding up the wounds of the brokenhearted is the work of caring for those who are bereaved, disappointed or hurt in all kinds of ways. And Jesus does this too. I think the reason the gospel records uh, more of the significant work of physical healing is because it speaks to Jesus' authority over creation. And it's a very visible demonstration of the kingdom of God at work. But it's no more and no less important than the work of inner healing that's also a vital part of his ministry. The ministry of the church should offer healing in a variety of ways, spiritual, relational, emotional, and physical. Last week, we talked about the spiritual gifts, which included gifts of healing. The Bible encourages us to pray for healing and to create space for God to work supernaturally. There are multiple stories of this happening in scripture and throughout Christian history, right up until today. The work of healing also needs trained professionals, doctors, counselors, psychiatrists, and surgeons. The wisdom of any kind of healing ministry is knowing when our ability alone is not enough. We need to ensure that people can receive the right kind of treatment. Not all works of healing are structured or scientific. Sometimes the warmth and safety of our friendship and our fellowship can provide a healing experience of belonging for someone who is looking for family. Sometimes healing means redressing the wounds that have been caused by painful experiences of church, leadership, or authority. Healing can be miraculous, instant, and obvious, or healing can be slow, steady, and subtle. There are so many ways the church can offer an experience of healing if we're ready to do the work. Liberation. Proclaim liberty to the captives. A significant part of Israel's experience was being captive in Egypt as slaves and being captive as exiles under foreign powers. Their experience was not unique. Since the earliest stories in scripture, we see that humans take each other captive in so many different ways. Jesus came to offer liberation for the captives, just as God liberated Israel from Egypt. It's a motif we see time and again throughout the whole of scripture, liberating humans from one another. The corruption of any kind of power leads to captivity, whether financial, physical, political, or emotional. Think of political oppression, abusive marriages, human trafficking, toxic families, slavery, and financial debt. Nowhere in Genesis do we see God give humans hierarchy or authority over each other as co-laborers. While throughout the Old Testament, he appoints leaders, priests,
priests and kings to serve others, humans are never given absolute power over one another. This is a human attempt to rule as God rather than with God. Today, humans keep each other captive in all kinds of ways. In November 2020, the police announced that a group of 84 women and girls, some as young as 13, had been trafficked into Scotland for the sex trade. All forms of people trafficking has been on the rise in Scotland in the last couple of years, and there's no evidence that the pandemic has reduced the number of cases. There are numerous organizations, some Christian and some government, dedicated to the work of abolishing human captivity because this is still an extremely literal problem. Now, this kind of work of liberation is highly specialized and the opportunities to participate are not easy for the church to excel in. So where does the church offer ministry that brings liberation to the captives? A prime example we've spoken about recently is the work of CAP, Christians Against Poverty. Based on biblical principles, they seek to help release people from captivity to debt. The crushing weight of debt or financial insecurity can be suffocating, and it has additional consequences, including a decline in mental health, family life, and educational attainment. Through providing trained CAP support services, Here's a great example of one way we can offer liberation from captivity, the financial captivity to debt collectors and other agencies. Sometimes the restorative work needs to be integrated in multiple ways. When we liberate people from something, whether it be debt or abuse, there's also a work of healing to be done. Sometimes giving people hope means meeting some of their basic physical needs before we engage in any other kind of ministry they may also need. Sometimes it's only once people manage a certain measure of healing that they are in a position to become free of other things holding them captive. Integration is always the key to restoration. Deliverance. Open the prisons of those who are bound. Now, this one might make you panic. This part of Jesus' decree could give you an alarming vision of the prison gates swinging wide open, letting all those who may not be safe for society to roam free. Most people who are currently in prison are there for good reason, and it wouldn't solve a lot of problems just to let them free. However, I don't think this is what the prophet Isaiah or Jesus is suggesting. The key is in the word bound. When used in biblical literature, the word bound often refers to the person of power that someone is loyal or tied or indebted to. God binds himself to his people in covenant with loyal love. People are bound to someone to whom they've made a promise or an oath. Where God binds the wounds of the brokenhearted, that binding brings security and healing. But where being bound to God brings life and freedom, being bound to the powers and principalities working against God brings death and imprisonment. 
deliverance is not a word we use often. And you may wonder, in what way is it different from liberation? They're kind of both about freedom, right? Think of the Lord's Prayer. What do we ask the Lord to deliver us from? Not people, but from evil. Deliverance is the work of freeing people from the bondages of evil. In Matthew 12, Jesus heals a demon-possessed man, and the crowds begin to think that perhaps Jesus himself is evil, because how else would he be able to deal with an evil spirit? But Jesus makes it clear that this is part of his ministry. He's come to drive the demons out. He says that he's come to bind the strong man, that's Satan, and release everything or everyone in Satan's possession. We have to bind up the forces of darkness. Christians today can be pretty skeptical about the work of deliverance, but it's hard to read the Bible without seeing the clear example Jesus set. He told his disciples to drive out demons. Often people dismiss these passages by saying that Jesus and the people of his time just didn't know the difference between severe mental illness and demon possession. But given that Jesus is God, and that God not only made the inner workings of the human mind, but operates in the supernatural and spiritual realms, it's hard to imagine that he could be mistaken. Jesus not only commands his disciples to heal the sick, but to drive out demons. While these two parts of ministry are often integrated because evil works through human hands and human minds, there's also a clear distinction between the two. The work of deliverance is about more than demon possession though. In fact, it's very rarely about that. The name Satan means the adversary. He is summed up by the fact that all his work is done in opposition to God's. He is the decreator, the destroyer. He seeks to steal, kill and destroy all that God has made for good including human health and wholeness. He will work to stir up despair instead of hope, hurt instead of health, captivity instead of liberty, and prison instead of freedom. The work of ministry then is to work in opposition to that which opposes God. We are to shine light into the darkness, to speak truth to corrupt power, to creatively restore that which God's enemy is working to destroy. Where we work for God's kingdom, Satan's kingdom may be at work to oppose us. Our battles not only against flesh and blood, but against the authorities and dark powers of this world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is why the church needs to be deeply rooted in word and spirit, growing in unity and maturity. Spiritual warfare is no joke, but thankfully for us, we fight in the name of the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth and who has already defeated death. Hope, healing, liberation, deliverance. Creative restoration encompasses all these things sometimes each in its own season and sometimes integrated all at once. This is the ministry of the church. 
We do not exist solely to entertain ourselves or even just to worship God. The church exists because we have a powerful, eternal work of ministry to do. In a COVID and post-COVID world, our communities will be in desperate need of creative restoration. The world is calling for what we have to offer. As a church family, we may have to do some healing and restoring of our own first, and that's okay because we too are human. But let's not miss our chance to bring the world exactly what God has already appointed us to do and equipped us to do it well. This is a season where it may matter more than ever that our communities see us doing our ministry. Remember those verses I spoke about at New Year? The invitation that God was giving us as a church and the vision of the church springing a leak with living water to parched dry lands? It's ready and waiting. Let me remind you of those beautiful words in Isaiah 58. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls restorer of streets with dwelling. Lord God, may these words be true of your church in Leslie. You have called us and equipped us for the ministry of creative restoration. Help us, Lord, help us to bring hope, healing, liberation and deliverance to our community. May we bring springs of living water to dry and thirsty lands. Lord, by your Spirit, fill us up and send us out. Amen.